you and I have something very much in common. We all want joy. But at the same time, I think joy seems so elusive. I asked a student once what he thought joy was and gave a very succinct answer. He said, it's not pleasure. Got an A. The A is, it's not a pleasure. It's, it, it, I mean, there's many good pleasures. But what he said is, pleasures are temporary. But joy is lasting. This third Sunday of Advent is to once again get us in touch with something that's lasting just not going to go away, and maybe not impossible. You know, a little taste of uh, joy is humor. Uh, Most people don't like my jokes, but I'll try one today again. Uh, There was a story about confession. A boy comes in and says, forgive me, Father, I have sinned. And Father said, what is your sin? And he said, I, I threw pickles in my next door neighbor's lake. And the priest said, three Hail Marys for your penance and go in peace, my son. The four more boys came in and they all said, they too had thrown pickles in the next door neighbor's lake. So finally, the last boy comes in, and, and the priest says, and the boy looked really sad, and, he, and the priest said, well, don't let me guess, you threw pickles in the next door neighbor's lake. He said, no, Father, I am pickles. <laughs> well, of course, I love this story because you laughed. It's a good sign for God Eight Day Sunday, a little taste of joy, although it's not the same as joy, but always helps to give a little taste. But I think also, uh, you know, forgiveness, sacrament of reconciliation this afternoon, confession, that there is a certain joy in knowing that there's no sin that can't be forgiven. There's no sin that is bigger than God's mercy and that mercy is present. And there's joy in knowing that and trusting that. And also I think there, there's joy in, let's face it, we all know somebody who's been pickled. And so there's a kind of a joy in reaching out to these people, kind of a joy in knowing that someone has been thrown in the lake, so to speak, and that we can participate in Christ's work, the joy, and actually sharing in his work to bring healing to the brokenhearted, which might be pickles, or joy to someone who is spiritually blind, might be pickles, or someone that is, who feels captive, feels like a slave to something, and that might be pickles, to participate in the work of our baptism, to 
to bring this kind of healing to the brokenhearted. We can bring some joy there to those who feel like pickles today. But what if you are pickles and you are feeling like you've been thrown into the lake? Where can we find joy? I think we can find joy and confidence in the Lord, the Savior, coming to us in many different ways, in many different times. Find confidence that even our trials, like pickles being thrown in the lake, can be turned into our salvation. So live with confidence, not simply in ourselves, but in a Savior. Even trials can work out towards our salvation. Death become a form of birth into new life. And your broken heart healed. Your sins forgiven. And so Paul says it so beautifully. He says, rejoice always. And he gives a list of ways to help increase joy in our lives. So you might come back later today and read this list. Say, Lord, I want this joy in my life. I'm feeling like pickles today. And so he says, pray without ceasing. In all circumstances, give thanks. In other words, joy is not the same thing as our circumstances. He didn't say give thanks for our circumstances, but give thanks in our circumstances. And he goes on to say, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Test everything. Retain what is good. Refrain from every kind of evil. May the God of peace make you entirely whole, spirit, soul, and body. Let's pray for joy today. It is possible. Amen. We have a little excerpt of a saint who has a Eucharistic heart, and we're studying the saints to help spark in us an appreciation of the Eucharist during this three-year Eucharistic revival. Good morning, everyone. Marie Eustelle Harpain is our Eucharistic role model for today, but she has not officially canonized a saint yet. So I thought this would be a good idea, a good time to briefly review the canonization process before we learn more about her. In order for a cause of, for sainthood to be open, the possible saint must be deceased for at least five years. Then a petitioner can approach the local bishop and request an inquiry into her, his or her life for possible canonization. If the evidence is enough to convince the local bishop of heroic virtue, the person is given the title servant of God and their cause will be sent to the Vatican for, for, for a further process. Once the Pope reviews the information, he declares whether the person is venerable or not. If he believes they are venerable, the cause for this person will be given a Roman postulator or an overseer from the Dicastery of Causes of Saints. The postulator will be responsible for the continuation of the cause of canonization for this venerable person. This open up, opens up the opportunity for members of the church to pray for this potential saint's intercession. Once a proven miracle is attributed to this venerable person, 
their cause moves to the next phase of canonization, and they will be given the title of blessed. At least one more miracle is credited to the blessed, is required in order to be fully canonized and given the title of saint. A martyr, however, only requires one miracle to be attributed to them. Being canonized a saint in the Catholic Church means that the person is officially recognized as sharing an eternal life with God. Their prayers to God are reaping fruit for us here on earth, and that they are worthy of universal veneration. The complete process of canonization can be quick, or it can take centuries, decades, a very long time, sometimes to complete. So Mary Ustel Harpain is one advent, one example of a long process for canonization. She's known as the angel of the Eucharist. She was born in Santez, a small western French town in 1814. She was a pious child, but by 10, she became proud, self-pleasing, and vain, enjoying parties and dancing with her many friends. Her mother worried that she would continue to draw away from God. At 12 years old, before Marie was to be sent away to be, to be an apprentice under a seamstress, her mother wished her to receive her first communion. As soon as Marie Ustel heard that she was to prepare for first communion, she most, almost immediately and com completely ceased her prayerful or playful excuse me, and pleasure-filled life she loved so much. She paid more attention to prayer, was more loving to others, and less self-indulgent. Her many friends mocked her brutally for this grand conversion. On the Feast of Corpus Christi, Marie Ustel received Jesus in the Eucharist for the first time and was given confirmation that same day. After her apprenticeship, she became a laundry maid and skilled seamstress who was put in charge of maintaining the linens and vestments at her local church, St. Pelay. Here she took private vows of poverty and chastity. Given a key to the church, she had often spent her nights in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament and her simple life was given to the love and worship of Jesus hidden in the tabernacle. She felt her one burning purpose was to awaken a true devotion to the Holy Eucharist in the hearts of her fellow countrymen. And when the priest of the prayer parish would bring Holy Communion to a sick villager, Marie Ustel would follow at a short distance, praying earnestly for the one who was about to receive him. Her bishop, Cardinal Clement Bellacourt, asked her to write an account of her life, he had it published ten months after her death, along with a letter from him describing his powerful impression of her from the very first meeting. In her life account, she describes her visions and ecstasies she experienced during the last three years of her life. In her account, she wrote that she frequently saw Jesus as she prepared to finish her prayers at the altar. Of Jesus, she said, There is a grace which is this tender friend of souls often grants me when being alone with him. I love to kiss the foot of the altar before I leave him, she said. He deigns to manifest himself to my soul and to show me his sacred feet, inviting me to imprint upon them the kiss which I was about to give to the altar step. Sometimes she saw Jesus in the sacred host as the priest held it up at consecration, or she saw Jesus himself offering the mass in the person of the priest, with heavenly spirits attending to him. She wrote about her experience on one particular Sunday when, at the moment of consecration, was near. She felt her soul penetrated with thoughts of holy grandeur of the holy sacrifice, and she saw a path of light reaching from heaven down to the altar, bordered by clouds of silvery whiteness, upon which rested multitudes of celestial spirits who appeared waiting for the great moment when their Lord should come 
down to offer himself to the Heavenly Father as a victim for his creatures. So clearly was the sight to Estelle's soul that it seemed as if she saw it with her own eyes. While her mind was filled with a sense of her unworthiness of the great love of him who thus descended upon the altar of sacrifice. Maria Estelle was known to frequently receive Holy Communion, which was then an uncommon practice and was only made more common decades later with when Pope Pius X was Pope. Referring to the Holy Eucharist, she said, It is at that source of all good that you must often go and draw. Oh, if the people of the world but knew what exquisite pleasures are tasted at that blessed banquet, I do not doubt that they would renounce all their false joys and come to take long inebriating droughts at the fountainhead of everlasting truth. As for you, who already tasted of this ineffable joy, be diligent to increase it by receiving communion as frequently as possible. Place all your delight in this divine element. Let Jesus in the Eucharist be all in all to you. Marie eventually became weaker and weaker as she was affected by illness after illness, and she was no longer able to follow the priest when he brought communion to the sick. Easter Tuesday of 1842 was the last time she could kneel before Jesus in the tabernacle. In her sickness and weakness, she allowed Christ to dwell in her, in her and looked forward to her twice-a-week reception of Holy Communion. She died in her hometown on June 29, 1842, at the age of 28. Her virtues made her deeply loved by all who knew her, and they all believed that she had passed from earth to dwell in God's presence forever. French sources say that her cause for sainthood was originally opened in 1921, but it was halted in 1958. It is believed that it was halted because her postulator was working also on the causes of priests who died on prison ships after the French Revolution. It is thought that as a result, Marie's cause was pushed aside. Yet, just last year, on November 8th of 2022, the French bishops endorsed the possible beatification cause of Marie Estelle Harpain. At just over 100 years from the initiation of her cause for sainthood, it is quite possible she will be soon be known as Blessed Marie Eustelle Harpain, one step closer to being officially canonized a saint. Marie Eustelle Harpain, Angel of the Eucharist, pray for us. <laughs> 